Hi, I'm Lauren Burdett, and you're listening to Life as Spiritual Practice, a podcast where we explore what it's like to experience ordinary aspects of life as ways to connect with the divine. Sometimes those aspects of life are just that, they're parts of life. They're things that we do or behaviors we can engage in. Sometimes it's the entire state of life can be a way of connecting with God. And that's what we're exploring today with our guest, L. Roger Owens. Roger is Associate Professor of Christian Spirituality and Ministry at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. An ordained United Methodist minister, Owens served rural and urban congregations in North Carolina before moving to Pittsburgh six years ago. He's written three books on the spiritual life, Abba, Give Me a Word, The Path of Spiritual Direction, What We Need is Here, Practicing the Heart of Christian Spirituality, and most recently, Threshold of Discovery, A Field Guide to Spirituality in Midlife. Roger, welcome. It's good to be here, Lauren. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. I have been reading Threshold of Discovery, and it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. And you're welcome. And I'm excited to hear from you about about what this journey to exploring midlife as a spiritual practice has been like for you. And maybe we could start with, as you were approaching that threshold, what, what shifts were you noticing? One of the first was that my feet started hurting. I was mm. 39 years old and a, um, just a couple months before my 40th birthday, I was teaching all day on a Tuesday. Uh, and I would stand in class all afternoon, and then I'd had, have class again that night uh, for two and a half hours. And I couldn't believe how much my feet hurt, and my feet had never hurt mm. uh, before. And that was the uh, just the kind of catalyzing experience. They'd been hurting for a while, but that mm. day just um, uh, they really hurt. And I I thought this is this is new. You know, I I noticed other things along the way. I, I would, you know, get up in the morning and look in the mirror and think, why is my father looking at me from the mirror? You know, wow. I'm, you know, those yeah. physical changes that you begin to notice and, and didn't really pay attention to. Uh, but there really is a way that, um, that those outward changes were kind of signs of um, deeper senses of change uh, within my soul, mm-hmm. changes around, around faith um, around images mm. of God, around um, experiencing God, uh, this sense that you know of, of what seemed like a vibrant and vital uh, experience of God was you know I didn't know how I experienced God anymore. I didn't I didn't know mm. what images of God were the ones that um, uh, that I could that could give me a grasp on on who God was in my life these days. Um, you know, and as a as a as a preacher and a teacher of spirituality and a writer of books on spirituality, that was disconcerting. What if I lose my faith? What, am I losing my faith? What, is, what does all this mean? So all of those things came together right at the time I was approaching my 40th birthday. Uh, and it seemed to be, um, these seemed to be kind of entering the second half of life questions, change, changes in my body, changes in my heart changes in my mind, forgetting people's names all the time. But those, those kinds of things just began standing out for me more and more. Mm. That I'm thinking about that beginning of my feet hurts and what a powerful symbol that is for the ways you were moving through the world weren't working for you anymore. That's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's mundane and it's, uh, tangible and it's, Mm. it's, you know, I'm not the first person in the world whose feet have hurt. Right. So this is nothing new or extraordinary. I've always been able to buy pretty comfortable shoes and never had to think about that. Uh, so that, so noticing that really, um, kind of captured my, captured my attention, uh, Mm. for sure. And, so what did what did you do with that as you're having this disconcerting experience of of your feet hurting and the ways that you usually connect with God not not meeting God there anymore and yeah well this was also the time that I was beginning 
to explore a relationship with a new spiritual director. Um, mm. And, and I had lived in Pittsburgh for a few years and hadn't really found a spiritual director. And it seemed like, mm. uh, I really needed to settle down. Um, one of the things that I was exploring was beginning to do, um, uh, St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises over mm. a long period of time for a number of years, uh, for whatever reason, I'd had a real deep visceral resistance to mm. approaching God with my imagination. This has been something I'd explored in prayer and I'd read about and I'd, I'd, it was literally uh, an aversion to the idea. Uh, and, you know, when you have an aversion that strong to something, and it was pretty strong. I remember being in a, in a meeting once when folks were explaining what it was like to do the spiritual exercises. And I almost had to run out of the room. I mean, I really, this, wow. this visceral, uh, and, you know, so that was like saying, pay attention to this. Maybe tomorrow's yeah. not the day to start this, but something's going on here. And so as I continued mm -hmm. to sit with that, Interestingly, what was an aversion uh, began to feel like an invitation to mm -hmm. um, to explore. So at the same time, um, I'm thinking about entering midlife and these changes in my body and the, the sense of uh, what felt like a loss of experience of God, really. Uh, I also f sensed an invitation to enter into prayer in a, in a mm -hmm. more structured way in a way that was very different from anything I'd experienced before. I would have, I would say my way of spiritual, um, spirituality, my approach to prayer is much more of the, of the um, kind of apophatic imagelessness, wordless, mm -hmm. just being, mm -hmm. being with mm -hmm. God. And so this, this idea of engaging my imagination as Ignatius invites us to do and enter in and, uh, that was just so foreign to me. So, so these were happening at the same time. Um, so I was meeting with a new spiritual director uh, to explore the possibility of, of doing this and letting her lead me through this. Um, and I remember she, she asked me, you know, how do you experience God? Uh, and I said, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Uh, uh, what is your image of God? I said, I don't know. I really don't know. And it was so, you know, I had never had someone in a while ask me those questions so directly. Um, yeah. uh, so I think it was, um, it, it just came together at the same time as I began to think about, oh my goodness, I'm approaching 40. And you know, in our culture, 40 is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it, it just, it's kind of one of those turning points. So you pay attention to them. Uh, and at the same time, I began to, um, uh, walk through the Ignatian spiritual exercises. So I'm, uh, I'm on another kind of journey as well. That's quite intentional in, in, in exploring a way of prayer. Um, not sure why I'm doing this, but, um, feeling like, you know, this is the right, the right thing to do. Hmm. So that was one of the ways yeah. I think I said there were two. Uh, the second, um, came, uh, when I was, on a walk with my family after Thanksgiving at an Audubon nature reserve near where we live. This was about two weeks before my 40th birthday. And as we were walking, I just had this thought, you know, in the year after I turned 40, I'm going to come out here 40 times and take 40 long walks. And I'm, I'm going to enter this um, threshold of midlife with some intentionality and intention. I'm not just going to let it, mm. let it fly past me. I'm not going to, I don't want to get sucked into all the, the struggles that we can have um, in midlife without having uh, my eyes open uh, to my own soul, to what God is doing. Um, and so that was a kind of practice I adopted in that next year of just taking 40 long walks and using that time to think about the, the questions that were rising in my, in my spirit that I hadn't really maybe been paying that much attention to of late. Mm. That's, that's really fascinating. What I hear in that is, um, I think one of the questions is how can, how can a state of life, a whole state of life be a spiritual practice? And I hear one of the keys is to approach it with intentionality, you know, is, is to be aware and, and to maybe think about what are practices, what are practices around the practice? What can I do that, that opens me up to what is happening in this season? 
That's a great way to put it. What are the practices around the practice? Um, yeah, because a state of life like midlife or entering midlife, a, a stage of life, uh, you're going to go through it one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, but the, even the language of saying life as spiritual practice, midlife as a spiritual practice suggests some um, intentionality mm -hmm. uh, about the way we pay attention uh, to the state of life that we're in. I think of um, of of Buddhist meditators who talk about on cushion practices and off cushion practices mm. right? on cushion practice. When you you sit down on your cushion and this is what you're doing now, quite intentionally, this is the main thing. Yeah. But the reason you do that is so that off the cushion in the rest of your life, um, you can carry in the same kind of awareness and openness and attentiveness to all of life that you're um, engaging in quite on purpose when you're on the cushion. And I think my walks in that next year were my on-cushion practice mm. about entering midlife. They were the place where I said, I'm going to go and be out and, and allow this time of walking to be um, the way I mark this transition and explore these questions. Of course, I did a lot of journaling and writing around that uh, as well to reflect, but these were the places uh, that gave me the space for that, um, to really do it on purpose. And I think that allowed me in the next year and perhaps the year after that, and maybe even still today, uh, to um, approach this stage of life um, with my eyes a little more open yeah. uh, to, to what's going on, a little more in touch um, with it. I like that language of on-cushion practice and off-cushion practice. And I've often found that very helpful yeah. um, when, when I teach students here at the seminary about spiritual practices. There's this sense, well, you know, we want to be contemplative activists. We want to be contemplative, contemplatives in action, right, in the world. And, and, uh, and I say, yes, please be that. We should all be that. Um, but, but even that requires some setting aside the time to say, if I want to be open, available, responsive to the movement of the spirit in my life and in the world all the time, yeah. then I need to set aside some time where that's all I'm doing. Yeah. Um, right? To, to focus yeah. on that. And I think that's what I was trying to do in these walks. Mm. Um, I mean, that's why the first advice when someone's learning to pray is to say, find a time and a place. Yes. <laughs> the first thing, right? Where and when. Uh, and then let everything else arise out of that. Mm -hmm. And I... Something I love about your practice of the walks is how accessible that was and how, um, as I think a lot of people mark that transition in, in maybe big flashy ways and not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, those can be good and significant experiences and those get more bandwidth, you know, and so to the way that you describe this practice that you built into your daily life, you know, that you, you brought your family along sometimes and it was right close to home and it wasn't outside of life. It was in life. That's right. There was no other way, uh, to do it. I think the, mm -hmm. you know, when, when, when people talk about a midlife crisis, the midlife crisis says I'm overwhelmed or bored or stuck in this life and I need to find a way to escape. I, I can't, I have to run. Um, and there are certainly times and situations in which we need to step out of them, undoubtedly. Mm. Uh, but I, I'm not in one of those. And, and I didn't want the normal passage of midlife to become a crisis uh, because I wasn't attending to it in, in mm. healthful ways. Mm -hmm. Um and one of the ways it seemed to do that is to say, look, this isn't far away. Uh, this is practically my own backyard. And so I can bring my family along and I can bring a friend along and I can sneak away for a little bit and come back and it doesn't have to disrupt the rhythms and the routines because I wanted this practice to help me re-enter the rhythms and the routines with mm. a new um, – a new energy and dedication not to escape the rhythms and the routines. I mean, if someone wants to pay for me to walk the Camino de Santiago for three <laughs> months, I'm happy to go do it. Right. If I can yeah. get my family to agree, but that wasn't the point of this, of this practice of this exercise. Mm. That's beautiful. 
so you entered, you entered this time, you know, from a place of seeing how things were changing and wanting to be intentional. And tell me about what you started to notice. Hmm. I, one of the things about being out in, uh, in, in nature, Mm -hmm. and I've always loved walking and being outside, uh, pull up a chair in the front yard and sit and read if the sun's shining, never miss an opportunity to do that. Uh, prefer to walk. I mean, we don't live in a a culture where you can just walk anywhere as I would like us to be able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, if I can walk to the park or walk with my kids to school, do that as much as I can. But I never considered myself a kind of in the a nature enthusiast. You know, years ago I did some bird watching, and so so this was one of the interesting things for me about this was just being out in in um, God's beautiful world with my mm-hmm. with my eyes open in a new way and letting that letting that speak to me. Um, so one of the, the first things I noticed when I was, uh, taking these walks was just, well, it was winter. I started on January the 1st and it was Mm. barren and everything looked, uh, dead and dry. Um, and I was immediately able to relate to that in terms Mm. of, um, my own life of prayer and spiritual life. And, uh, uh, and also just the reality when you're entering the second half of life, you're turning, kind of towards your end, right? You're yeah. moving closer to, to death. Um, and so I, you know, that was one of the first things that this, this practice uh, kind of allowed me to contemplate was impermanence and, mm-hmm. and change, right? Everyone, you know, you can't deny uh, that everything changes and is impermanent, but you can avoid it mm. or uh, pretend it's not true. Uh, and it began to occur to me early on in this walk that um, maybe one of the ways of entering midlife um, in soulful ways um, mm. would be to stop denying or hiding from my own mortality and the impermanence of all the things I love. Mm. Well, I would have taken a different first insight mm. if I could have gotten one that wasn't. It's that a hard place the, to start, right? <laughs> well, and it, it is true. When I when I um, when I finished writing the book about this experience, I sent it to um, a friend of mine who's eighty to mm-hmm. read the manuscript because I knew he would uh, have wonderful insights for me. And that was one of his first things. He said, "At this age, you know, maybe I wasn't so excited about starting with chapters on death and change." You know, he's feeling a little closer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure my experience of that was was quite different. Um, but there was, so that, I mean, there was, there was sadness around that when I began mm-hmm. to explore the, you know, look closely at the things of my life and say, these don't get to stay here. Everything mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. Uh, everything's impermanent. Everything changes. I spent some time meditating on, um, the five Buddhist remembrances, uh, mm-hmm. one of which is I'm of the nature to grow old. I can't escape it. I'm of the nature to die. I can't escape it. Uh, everything I love is going to die. I can't escape it. Right. And just, mm-hmm. uh, dwelling with that uncomfortable, um, reality, um, seems to be one of the lessons of midlife as a spiritual practice. Uh, mm-hmm. and the first it's, as you were talking just now, I thought, huh, I wonder if that's part of why it is hard. It can be hard to approach this phase of life as a spiritual practice is because we kind of know that that fear and that grieving is waiting for us. And I'm hearing, and maybe we need to face those. We need to face that first. And that's not the whole picture. It's certainly not the whole picture. And, you know, someone else on it might have been captured by a different, mm-hmm. um, by a different aspect, right? Um, I don't know that that the, my approach is the recipe for approaching uh, mm-hmm. midlife in this kind of way, um, but it does seem to me like in my own um, experience of living with God, uh, mm-hmm. my invitations again and again have are to. Um, be okay with holding loosely or letting go of the things that I'm clinging to. I mean, mm. a lot of us have to learn that, right? Uh, and, you know, the first half of life, uh, at least for me, up to 40, was about accumulating things. 
you acquire things, you, whether it's reputation or degrees or uh, accolades or uh, a family and a career, right? You establish these things. Uh, and uh, in the midst of that, there's this sense these things need to be held loosely. Um, and uh, we're not promised that they get to stay around um, very long at all. And, you know, another 40 years is not very long in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And in that, in that loosening and in that beginning to hold those things lightly, what, he's wondering then what, then what do you begin to see? Well, I, I, I wonder if one of the things that kind of clinging to these things uh, does to us, you know, there was one time in the year that I was taking these walks uh, that I had an opportunity to go to my childhood home. My uh, mother was moving to an assisted living home. And so I had a closet full of trophies and wow. my, my sons were with me uh, and they were in middle school age. And it was time for me to clean out my old bedroom. Here I am, forty years old, and it's time for me to clean out my clean out my bedroom once and for all. And I, <laughs> I had to go through these trophies, and I they just became a kind of a symbol for me of what I had tr my first half of my life had been like, you know. And I would take the yeah. you know ja here's jazz band award from high school, and here's this award and this award, and and um, and the the idea of taking them out of the closet and I. Most of them I put in a bag and threw in the trash. I actually put had seven bags of trash after that trip home. But um, well, it makes room for things, right? So it yeah. does that becoming comfortable with that realization that these things are not me, that I have to let them go. Um, it does make room for a wider attentiveness uh, to what is precious and valuable and really worth attending to. And those, those things are not worth attending to. Um, so even that very weekend, you know, my, my sons were helping me clean out and what a joy to be with them. Um, someone last week asked me what, you know, what's this, what was the surprise out of this kind of year long project of taking these walks? And I think the biggest surprise was a discovery of joy. And I wasn't expecting that. I didn't plan, you know, uh, one of the themes I'm going to explore this year is joy. It wasn't on my agenda. Yeah. Uh, and, but making that room, uh, I think allowed for me to notice and experience joy in all kinds of tangible ways, just the beauty of the world out there, how often my wife mm -hmm. or kids were able to come with me, um, how sometimes my sixth grade son I think he was in seventh grade, would still hold my hand on these walks. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> my sixth grade son holding my hand. I mean, it was just, it was, it was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, uh, and so the, certainly this attending to this, this part of my life did open doors for those kinds of discoveries that I didn't quite expect at the time. You can't see me, but I just have my hands on my heart. <laughs> Picturing you and your son mm. holding hands and the deep gift of that and the unexpected, the surprising gift of that. I think that's what it was. Surprise. Uh, mm. a, a, a graceful gift of joy in, a mo in that moment. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Just holding that. What you've talked a little bit about the challenges that that we face in in the season of midlife or the fears that we carry in. Are there um, I'm wondering if, if there's more to that or if you could say more about you know, what you see as the spiritual challenges of that season. One of the spiritual challenges is so I briefly alluded to um, just a changing experience of God mm -hmm. um, this the sense that what I used to expect out of prayer um, mm -hmm. was was no longer there and once again it's kind of like with sore feet 
this was not a discovery I made on my own, right? That this happens. Uh, but it was a discovery I made in my life. It never happened to me in this kind of, in this mm-hmm. kind of way. And I noticed that, you know, in, in, in church a lot, I noticed singing hymns and thinking, this used to be one of my favorite hymns. And this, these, this language for God just makes no sense to me anymore. It doesn't, um, uh, some of the, the, the language around, you know, God being in charge, God being, mm. what, is, what could that possibly mean? And I really struggled with, with, um, with that. And that made me say, what, uh, what kind of images of God am I losing my grip on? Um, mm. I have a, a favorite poem by Denise Levertov um, called Suspended. And it begins, mm. she says, I had grasped God's garment in the void but my hand slipped on the rich silk of it. Isn't that beautiful? I had grasped God's garment in the void, but my hand slipped on the rich silk of it. And, uh, and I think as I was you know, in this place, that's, that can happen to a lot of people. I sometimes wonder why, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a pastor, uh, it seemed like a lot of people, when they got to be 40, you just stopped seeing them in, in church on Sunday mornings. Um, and we said, well, they're busy. Their kids are in all kinds of things. They can't come to evening groups anymore. I think that's, that's all true. Uh, in fact, now that I'm that age and have kids in middle school and high school, and I feel like I need to go back to all the parents I knew when I was a young pastor and apologize for them for thinking they should have made it to more church meetings <laughs> because it's hard. I can't yeah. tell you how many, I can't tell you how many times I'm telling my pastor, I would love to be able to come to that or join that committee, but I just can't anymore. Right. So, but I don't know if that's the only thing. It might yeah. be that it, more often when we reach that age, the, the, um, I don't, the flannel board images of the biblical stories that we learned. You know, the flannel's just not sticking to the board anymore, right? And they're falling on the floor. That's and a how, great image. In, week after week, can you go in to the sanctuary and and hear the same platitudes sometimes that you've been hearing for the last 30 or 40 years and sing the same hymns uh, and realize this is not connecting, this is not touching, this is not acknowledging even that there might be times when my hand slips on the rich silk of God's garment and I don't, I don't got it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so that was, that was a place of my experience um, in terms of, uh, of, but that doesn't have to be a, that doesn't have to be a catastrophe. Mm. It can feel in the moment, it can feel like a catastrophe. Like, oh my goodness, everything, you know, this is what I've, especially if, like I said, if you're like me and you're a religious professional and you teach and speak and write about God, what, what do you do? Um, I, I joke in the book I wrote about this, that the options are pretty much become a funeral director or a mindfulness instructor. I mean, those are, that's <laughs> what I, I could do that. Right. But that's about it when I can't talk about God anymore. Um, uh, and so it's another place to say. So when I was talking to my spiritual director about this, I said, maybe I'm going through a dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a dark night of the soul when when God kind of strips us of our false images of ourselves and of God. Yeah. Uh, and she said, it doesn't sound to me like a dark night of the soul. It sounds to me more like a threshold of discovery. Mm-hmm. Well, that little one phrase, it reframed the whole thing for me. Right. Then this experience of wilderness, whether it's the wilderness of midlife or the wilderness of, in this, in this case, the wilderness of, of having lost my grip on God Mm. wasn't something I needed to escape. Yeah. Because if it's a threshold of discovery, you don't want to leave until you've found what you need to find until you've made the discoveries Mm. that are yours to make. And so that was another, an invitation to say, turn towards this experience uh, and, um, and see what it has for you. Um, uh, and in this case, I, it did help me. Um, I don't think I replaced any old images of God, uh, with a new image, right. Uh, you know, as if it's my job to make up an image of God that works for me that we call that idolatry. Right. So I, I don't feel like I need mm-hmm. to do that. Um, uh, but I do believe that I could receive 
uh, a sense of God as um, upholding love in a way mm-hmm. maybe I hadn't before, right? The what, what? Say more about that, about what that means for you. Well, um, the sense that in and through it all, whether I'm changing or struggling or doubting, um, I mean, there is an old hymn that I, the first line of which I used, to, I, I, I love and I still do love. And it just, it goes like this, mm-hmm. oh, love that will not let me go. I rest mm-hmm. my weary soul in thee. Uh, you know, and that's the that's a very simple little line. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. Um, but it's also for me very very profound. The sense that mm-hmm. that um, that we our lives are being arise out of um, out of love. They are lived presently in this love with a capital L, this is divine love. And they are moving toward this love. Um, and it is what matters more than anything else. Um, uh, I think I, I, I could sense that in a new kind of way. Um, once the, you know, the fringes of that rich silk of God's garment I was clinging to slipped out of my hands. I don't know. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. It somehow makes that, sense to me. <laughs> what I, what I experienced in you saying that, you know, I'm imagining that, that rich robe slipping out of your grasp and not being left with an abyss, you know, not being left with just absence. That's true. Yeah. Well, the rest of that, that poem uh, by Lebertov, <clears throat> I'd grasped God's garment in the void, but my hand slipped on the rich silk of it. The everlasting arms my sister loved to remember must have upheld my leaden weight from falling even so. For though I claw at empty air and feel nothing, no embrace, I have not plummeted. I mean, that's, I, you know, I've been reading that poem for about 10 years. Uh, and I think... I finally know what she's talking about. The sense that I don't need an experience of God, warm, warm fuzzies in prayer or uh, uh, Thomas Merton reminds us again and again, our experiences of God are not God. Mm-hmm. Our experiences of God are not God. In one place he says they are just as created as a glass of beer. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a created experience in us. They are not God. Um, and yet, I have not plummeted, still upheld, um, still safe uh, in the deepest, deepest kind of way. Mm -hmm. Mm. Which sounds incredibly freeing. Uh, It is freeing. Um, What, you know, in the, in the, in the very basic way it's freeing for me is that I can write about it and talk about it without uh, feeling ashamed. Like I need to, you know, tote um, a party line on who God is and what that experience of God should be like, right. That I, there's a, there's a right way to do this. You know Um, I'm a United Methodist pastor. Maybe I should be talking about the Wesleyan way of salvation, you know, and I should keep (laughs) talking about provenient grace and, and justifying grace and sanctifying grace and, and uh, perfecting grace and right. And, and I, I think all that language still works in a way. Um, uh, but I also can write a book or, or give a lecture or preach a sermon in which um, I'm also uh, kind of authentic to what I feel like I'm learning as I'm living this life mm. and not maybe have to worry about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is freeing. Uh, but it's also freeing in prayer. Uh, because I don't need a, um, I don't need to have an expectation of what this should be like, uh, of what this should uh, feel like, or what I should be getting out of, getting out of prayer. Um, and once again, it opens it opens me to surprises. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, I'm just caught off guard on, say, Sunday morning when we're singing a hymn. And one mm-hmm. verse, I mean, it might be a song I've sung a million times, a hymn I've sung a million times, and it'll just, 
uh, it'll just almost knock me down. Um, and I think that's part of what you can be open to when um, uh, you don't have to have these expectations about what this life with God should be like. Yeah. What are, what are some of those surprises that you've noticed in how life with God has changed? One of the surprises is the, the discovery. Once again, these are things I've known because as an academic, I've read these things before. So I know that, mm-hmm. you know, people write about this kind of thing. Um, but there, you can get to a place where you, or at least for me, where I noticed this in my life. And one of the places is the surprising reality that God is actually in the ruts that we get in, in life. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the experiences, more common experiences in midlife. If you read accounts of this, uh, this passage, that the sense of routine and stuckness, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You're in this place Mm -hmm. where possibilities for, you know, doing something great, moving to a new job, um, going on the next great adventure, they kind of close down, right? Your period of adventure is over and now you have routines. And for me, those routines involve family life, a lot of washing dishes in the evenings, uh, a lot of taking Mm -hmm. kids to practices. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I began to really chafe against that uh, as I was approaching Mm -hmm. 40 um, and saying, wait a minute, is this what you know, is this really the life I'm stuck with now? I'm washing dishes every night, unloading and unloading the dishwasher and and running kids all over the place and uh, writing another book review because that's what you do when you're a professor. You write book reviews, you know. Um, uh, and, and so part of, you know, even the experience of taking 40 walks at the same place, I think mm. by about walk 27 or 28, I was saying, wait a minute, <laughs> do I really have to do this again? <laughs> I mean, I know the route pretty well. And there are, fortunately, there are enough trails out there at this Audubon Nature Reserve that I can, I could vary my walk a little bit and, you know, do some different things. Um, uh, but so it shouldn't have been a surprise to me because this is what, for instance, you know, monastic literature has been telling us all along, right? Um, yeah. right? God is in the routines. Um, this is where we discover God is not when we, in the novelty necessarily, well, it might be, of course, um, but we don't need to keep seeking God through something new. Um, mm. But we can be faithful to these routines. Um, the, you know, if you're a, a desert monk weaving a basket and reciting the Psalms all day long. Uh, and right, the most famous saying from the desert monastics, stay in your cell and your cell will teach yeah. you everything. Well, in midlife, what we want to do is just escape the cell. I mean, get out, mm-hmm. run, you know, um, uh, you know, stand at the at the freezer at eleven o'clock at night and eat fudge ripple ice cream right out of the right out of the box. Right? This is. <laughs> <laughs> I like the comedian uh, Jim Gaffigan, and he has a little routine where he says, oh, yeah. uh, where he's in the in the kitchen at 11 o'clock and I eating ice cream out of the freezer and his wife comes in and says, honey, Jim, do you really want to be standing? I mean, look, you're eating ice cream right out of the box. It's 11 o'clock at night. And he said, well, <laughs> he says, well, it's either eat the ice cream or feel my feelings. <laughs> so he's going to eat the ice cream. <laughs> you know, I tell my students in the intro to spiritual formation class, this class is an invitation to stop eating the ice cream for nine months. You know, and, 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 uh, and so, so a midlife crisis can be, if we want to escape it, uh, this midlife, you know, angst or ennui or whatever it is, you know, uh, buying that, uh, blue BMW that I want so bad. That's the midlife mm-hmm. version of eating the ice cream. Uh, it's yeah. the novelty. It's the new, the injection of something, something brand new, um, and I mean, what a what a what a gift, what a joy, and a, and a surprise to uh, to discover that um, my goodness, there is more novelty uh, in uh, the daily routine of 
of life with the same job and the same students and the same kids and the same marriage and the same house, taking the same walks. There's a ton of novelty there. Uh, mm. You know, today is not yesterday. It's not the same as yesterday. Uh, and, um, and I think part of what God is doing in that is helping us see that, uh, that if, if this is really, uh, if there is really infinite mysterious depth to all of creation and to the people in our lives, then one of my favorite prayers uh, that I say almost every morning begins new every morning as you love great God of light and all day long you're working for good in the world. Right? New every morning is your love, great God of light. You know, and, uh, and you could say the same thing. New every morning um, is this life you've given me, great God of light. New is this day. New are these people. I thought I had them figured out, but they're infinite mystery. Uh, you know, I thought I knew what they were going to say when I did this, but they don't because they're infinite mystery. And then uh, appreciate that. Um, and, and, I mean, infinite mystery is as equally frustrating as it is beautiful because it means we can't, we can't have these people figured out. We can't have this life all, all, all wrapped up um, the way we want it to. Uh, but it also means that you don't have to get another life to have, um, to have uh, something precious and new and beautiful. I think that was a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And you started that by saying, I didn't, it's not that I didn't know this, but you hadn't lived it. And the difference between, oh yeah, sure. I know I can connect with, of course, like, of course God's yeah. going to be in the everyday, you know, but. Of course. I mean, it's the, it's, it's a spiritual cliche, right? I mean, it's the, one of the great spiritual cliches. God is in the present moment. God is in the now. God is yeah. in the everyday. Uh, um, uh, I mean, that's why it's great that you, you're exploring these themes because you're allowing mm -hmm. people to take that cliche and make it something actually deep and real in their lives. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, oh yeah. I, I mean, I've taught Kathleen Norris's book, Quotidian Mysteries, uh, on, mm -hmm. on right when she's she goes to Catholic mass and she says, wait a minute, the priest is washing the dishes up there when he wipes out the chalice and the patent. And, <laughs> right. And she realizes that's what I do all the time. You know, of course, I've read that a million yeah. times. Uh, and, and like I said, the desert monastics and the, and, and other kinds of forms of monastics, it's, it's, it's a extraordinary insight. Um, but, you know, we need to let these things trickle down from our minds to, um, you know, deeper places in our hearts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And letting that happen just by staying where we are, by being present to exactly where we are. Mm -hmm. And the challenge of that. Mm. You, you talked about the um, being upheld by the God of love and the you know, God is infinite mystery, the infinite mystery of God. I'm curious, what else are there other, is there other language that has come back to you or other things that you noticed about God in this, in this time of discovery? I think I was redrawn to, um, for instance, some of the themes in Julian of Norwich's Revelations of Divine Love, um, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, present, I think, infinite mystery is is one of the uh, one of the, it's not her language, but it's what she might um, help us to see. Um, mm -hmm. But this sense of God, um, so think about this Julian's image of the hazelnut. She says she saw a hazelnut and that became for her an image of all that God had made, right? The most, this is one of the classic images. So uh, many people will be familiar with this. And she says, what amazed me is that I discovered that God created this. God loves it and God upholds it in being. So I guess we're back at the same theme there, right? God upholding it yeah, uh, in, in yeah. being, but it was the, it was the insignificance, the relative insignificance of the hazelnut compared to the majesty of God 
that that startled her so because God was turning God's full attention to this creation that God loved, a little hazelnut. And then she goes on to say that uh, one of the problems is that we invest our complete attention uh, and all of our goals in in the hazelnut as if it's a closed-in mm-hmm. system outside of the yeah. horizon of God's creative and loving embrace. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, that, I think that's her beautiful way of talking about what the Christian tradition has meant when it talks about, about sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Augustine talking about the hearts, our hearts turned in on themselves. And, and she would agree that, you know, God has given us creation so that our hearts might be turned outward toward that creation and through that creation towards God and love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's, it's not just an image of God as upholding all that is in being and in love, though I find that extraordinarily uh, comforting and powerful. Um, but also mm-hmm. a God who is, is a personal agent wooing me to a life of love a life that has a heart broken open to um, the beauty and the suffering of this, of this world um, in which God is um, steadfastly present and at work. So it's not just this kind of, Oh great. I found this image of God that gives me a sense of rest and comfort. Um, Mm -hmm. But this, this God is also quite heartbreaking. (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, in Luke chapter two, Mary was told a sword will pierce your heart too. Um, and that's what discovering love does. It, it, it allows our hearts to break open. Um, and uh, they break because, uh, well, that very, that first insight we talked about because of the fragility of the world and all that is. Um, but when our hearts break open, they can be open to embracing, right? It's kind of an imitatio day, an imitation of God. If this mm-hmm. is the way God is in relationship to the world and we're attentive to that and we're open and responsive to that, then we shouldn't be surprised that, that we are approaching the world with the same kind of open, vulnerable love. Um, yeah. And so that's became, that was one of the, that was for me, um, one of the, deep movements in my spirit that came as I was doing the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola at the same time as I was mm-hmm. taking these 40 walks, uh, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, at the Audubon nature reserve, um, a sense mm-hmm. of a vocation to love, however that needs to look. That's beautiful and simple and so vast. Well, it's kind of like Julian's hazelnut. That's pretty simple and also pretty vast. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were, you know, as you were talking about the hazelnut and situating it, you know, within the grandeur of God's creation, I was picturing again, though, just those felt board figures falling mm. and, and you can sit, you know, think, Oh, you could sit with that, empty felt board, you could look down and try to pick up those figures that fell, or you could see the invitation to see beyond the board. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think the invitation is to, um, is to see all of reality and that means our own lives. That means washing dishes and stubbing your toes and having sore feet. Um, uh, but it also means when you turn on the news, the suffering on the other side of the world that seems so far from you, but it breaks your heart anyway. Uh, seeing this whole, th- this whole, or, or seeing a life in its middle that seems sometimes stuck, sometimes mm-hmm. joyful, sometimes annoyed and frustrated. Um, seeing all of that within the, um, creative embrace of God's love, the horizon uh, of, of God's infinite love and mercy. Uh, and then letting that horizon change the way we encounter this reality in front of us. Hmm. 
I love that. Hmm. I love that language, the, the expanded horizon and how that changes what we see right here. It's an image that's, mm. that has become significant to me. I, I'm, I think sometimes our geographies of our childhood shape our imaginations in particular kinds of ways. And I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, and so I, the expanse of sky and the wide horizon, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and here, here living in Pittsburgh when with the hills and the hills and it's very different. Yeah, <laughs> It's very, it's very different. And sometimes I, I see, you know, hints of a sunset on the other side of the hill. And I say to my yeah. family, Oh my goodness, if we were in Indiana, that would be a beautiful sunset. Uh, but but I do. I feel like when you're when you're in a place where the horizon is wide, you know it it casts a different kind of light on all that you all that you see. And I can easily imagine yeah. that this horizon is God's creative, loving embrace, uh, and it casts a different light on everything, including me, because I'm within that. Yes. Yeah. I was thinking that as you were saying that all that loving embrace and letting it hold you as well. We are, we're close to the end of our time. Was there anything, was there any, anything we didn't cover that you wanted to, or anything you wanted to share that you haven't gotten to? Nope. Perfectly delighted to have let the conversation go where, Hmm. where it went. You know, that's the, that's the great thing about conversation. Thank you. You know, it is funny because you could tell from my anxiety, you know, when I emailed you, I kind of like to know what we're talking about. And I did an interview for the magazine Faith and Leadership last week because they're going to mm-hmm. do a little excerpt of this. And I emailed her this. I just get nervous. I, I get, you know, you want to be in control. And I, <laughs> part of my practice needs to be let go of that and see what, what comes up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've always been anxious about my ability to speak off the cuff. And I like, I feel like if I can prepare something insightful and wise, things will go much better. So that's one of the things I get to let go of. <laughs> so this was a spiritual practice. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was of, uh, of, you know, a little bit of risk taking there. Yeah. So. Well, I am so grateful. I thought it was a beautiful conversation and um, thank you. Yeah, it was really delightful. Thank you for exploring with us today. You can learn more about Roger at his website, lrogerowens.com. You can also find links to his books and information on the resources he referenced in our show notes. I hope that today's conversation inspires you to play with spiritual practices in your daily life. If you do, I'd love to hear about it. You can reach me via my website, laurenburdett.com. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. That will help other listeners to find us. Finally, our amusing music is from the album Solace by the band This Side of Eve. You can find all of their music at thissideofeve.bandcamp.com. I'll be back next week with a new conversation. Thanks again.